Hello, my name is Sherry Baranek. I'm the CEO of Clearfield. What I can offer for service providers is plan, plan again, and then plan some more. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Sherry. I'm so happy to have you here. It's a wonderful opportunity to speak to you as well. Great. So before we launch into our conversation, which is going to be about fiber and COVID and how COVID has impacted the fiber supply chain, but also a little bit about the digital divide and, and how fiber is helping bridge that and who Clarefield is like working with to make that kind of happen. But before we do that, I do have to ask you, Sherry, what's an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Well, I had an opportunity um, early in the development of Clearfield uh, to join a women's group. And uh, normally this was something that I would not have done. Um, I was busy. I was a single mom starting a company, two teenagers. Um, and what I found by joining the women's group is I had the chance to actually talk with peers and peers who had gone through some of my same issues and peers who could identify what those issues were and give me some foundation. And the empowering happened by listening to uh, the founder of this women's group, the facilitator. She took me aside and said, Sherry, you've got imposter syndrome. And I looked at her and I'm like, imposter syndrome is when you don't think you can do it and you've got all the skills possible. Um, and so every time I have a little self-doubt, I remember those women who knew that I could make this happen and empowered myself to be able to say, I have friends, I have family, I have foundation who believe in me. Um, I just need to believe in myself as well. And, uh, and every once in a while, this kind of comes into play and it came into play of all the weirdest things this week. Um, I just became a grandmother for the second time. And my daughter sent me, the mama of my new grandbaby, um, sent me a bracelet that said, believe, uh, she thought she could, and she did. And so we both now wear the same bracelet, and it is a foundation of being a woman, a mother, a grandmother, and happily the CEO of a very uh, wonderfully growing company. Well, congratulations on becoming a grandmother again. Um, yeah, the imposter syndrome thing is interesting. I I have it all the time. I think a lot of people do. And I've started to kind of look at it as if you're having imposter syndrome, it means that you are doing something worth doing for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It means you're doing something hard or new or challenging. And so it's an uncomfortable feeling, but it's probably a good sign is, is what oh, I, I try to I, tell I, myself. I, I couldn't agree more, right? Because you need to put to be successful in this marketplace, at any marketplace, you need to push yourself. And once you leave, you know, if you don't leave your comfort zone, you know, you're not, you're not reaching your potential. And so it is really okay to make a few mistakes. It is really okay to have a little self-doubt. Um, and when you stop having it, it's probably time for you to rethink um, where you're at. Yeah, certainly. So getting into the meat of this conversation, mm -hmm. we know supply chain constraints are rampant everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's hard for everyone, but I'm happy to have you on the podcast so that we can focus on how the supply chain constraints are actually impacting the fiber industry in particular. So what can you tell me about that? Yeah. Well, what we saw during the pandemic 
was that the need for high-speed fiber, a stake to start with high-speed broadband, was absolutely evident and that it was no longer a wish um, or a want, but an absolute need, because we needed to be able to establish a way to, to work, live, and play from home. And so over the course of the pandemic, our organization, Clearfield, has grown aggressively you know, uh, over the trailing 18 months, about 70%. Being able to respond to service providers who were already be, you know, looking at and having the aptitude to deliver high-speed broadband. Today, as we try to continue that momentum, the, um, the, the, the constraint of getting materials from around the globe has certainly been a strong issue. And that's teamed with the fact that now demand is absolutely paramount. And so that supply demand uh, imbalance um, is showing itself across the country. We're already seeing lead times for our customers of fiber from 45 to 52 weeks. Um, you know, looking at a standpoint of not only deploying this year, but they gotta start planning for next year. And I think that's, um, while it's frustrating for people, it's actually a very good sign because it means that we, this is a, a development that is going to, to be one of the most extensive capital equipment deployments in the last 20 years. And it will probably last for the next decade because it's the empowerment of bringing communications to people across the country. You know, for this next 12 months, absolutely, the supply chain is a, is a challenge and one of the biggest issues with it is uh, transportation and logistics. Where is my product and when am I gonna get it? And what I can offer for service providers is for right now is plan, plan again, and then plan some more. And work with vendors who are really looking at things at promise dates. It's not about getting it to you in five days or in 50 weeks. It's about if you offer a promise date, your job is to get product to that promise date so that people can be able to, re to deal with the limited supplies we have today. And with that, I would offer that providing really focus on labor because with labor being 60% or 80% of the cost of bringing fiber to service provider customers, we've got to make sure that we optimize the labor resources that are out there and, and use hardware that limits or, or uh, maximizes the labor that's available, or we can reduce the amount of labor or the skill level of labor that's required. Um, I would say as a, as a customer, continue to demand the, the service that you need, but also know that you need to be a little bit patient as we work through this whole you know, um, uh, challenging environment in which um, just the little shutdown last, you know, earlier this month in China is going to force things to slow down. The potential, um, uh, uh, you know, in the in the ports, we've heard some potential of labor, not only shortages, but or potential strikes. Um, we've got to know that this is a really changing economy and a changing marketplace. So supply chains will live, they will change, but they will eventually get straightened out and we will build fiber for the next decade to make things better. I like how you explained the challenge from the perspective of everyone involved there, which I, I really appreciate how thorough that was. Uh, so at the same time that, that COVID has, has caused some issues here, it's also, as you pointed out, there's been more of a demand, which also shed light on, on the need for, for broader and better connectivity for a lot of people. And, and with that has come a lot of federal funding aimed at closing the digital divide and helping do things like deploy more fiber. So what are your thoughts about that and how that's mm -hmm. sort of impacting 
the fiber ecosystem right now. Right. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of money and we're excited about the money that's in place um, and that's coming into this market. You know, um, there's been longstanding programs, but perhaps the ones that have received the most visibility because of their size are the RDF programs, the original, original excuse me, the RDF programs that started um, under the Trump administration and now the new programs, which we call BEAD, um, that have been approved as part of the Infrastructure Act um, under the Biden administration. In RDF, there's two $10 million buckets of opportunity. The first $10 million was for unserved markets, and that was put together and awarded by auction last year. We're just starting to see some of those dollars come into the marketplace. Interesting of that is those are unserved communities. And so these are really places that you know, have limited amount of fiber, not only fiber, but broadband in any sense. And they weren't going to get uh, an opportunity to receive higher speed broadband without that funding. The second uh, wave of money is uh, under RDOF is for underserved. And that, that auction is expected hopefully sometime next year. The big bucket, the $42 billion for the actual build out of infrastructure under the Biden administration is exciting because it's gonna be delivered under the NTIA and by delivered to the states rather than directly to the service providers. This is gonna take a little more time because there's more people involved and more voices to be heard, but it means that the communities that need it most are the ones that should get it because it's going to be decided locally. And that's what's so exciting for all of us in this digital divide uh, environment is that we wanna make sure that the right people are getting the money at the right time by which to build. Yeah, and so we're excited about it. Unfortunately, the, this last money under the NTIA is probably next year and then the year beyond to actually get started. Now that sounds negative, but the Fiber Broadband Association has said that we will deploy more fiber in the next three years than we did in the last 20. And so lots of, lots of fiber, lots of people getting better service, but we're also gonna need you know, a variety of other services, you know, fixed wireless and the like, to start to improve the performance that we, until we can get real high speed, which we all know fiber-fed broadband is the most economical long-term. So those funding programs are um, exciting. They're like the, some of the funding programs we've seen in the past that take 18 months perhaps to get out there. But once they're running, this is gonna be a level of momentum, uh, a level of cadence that is really gonna be successful in getting additional people working, getting a new generation of people into telecom and beyond just a single fiber and delivering to the digital divide, it's gonna provide you know, within probably five years an opportunity to have a choice of fiber because we're gonna see telcos as well as the cable companies and perhaps even a CLEC coming into play to provide your broadband services. Really an exciting time. It is, and like you said, lots of money. Mm -hmm. But does money solve all problems? Certainly not. And um, we have historically seen a lot of money going to wrong places and, and ill spent. Um, but I'm seeing a, um, some really good signs um, in that area. You know, one is when I talked about the RDF program that was being awarded through um, the FCC. With the change in the FCC leadership, um, they've initiated an opportunity for 
a review of all of the auction award winners to ensure the performance threshold that they promise can actually be achieved. And so that's really a good model of being able to have the discipline by which to review that. It's, it's, it's difficult to have that discipline because it slows it down. Them, but by having that discipline, we're going to be able to potentially, you know, say, you know, this doesn't work and we're going to bring that money back into the fund and redeploy it appropriately. The other thing I'm excited about is the FCC indicated that there, the new maps for broadband requirement are going to be available this fall. And of course, you know, every time we do these maps, they're going to get better. You know, and it was, it's, they've been trying to do these maps for 10 years. It's not that people didn't want to get them right, you know, 10 years ago. It said it just takes time to get that level of detail available and they change over time. Um, but having this next round of mapping, I think is exciting. The third is what I already mentioned, but just to, to reiterate is the fact that this 42 billion is going to go through the states. And by going through the states, we're going to be localized in our requirements. It's still going to have some political orientation and who's got a bigger voice or a bigger bat. Um, at some points of it, but it does mean that local activism, and that's what I would listen, how I would um, communicate this or summarize it to your listeners, is local activism to identify that we are the ones who need this fiber, who need this bandwidth, are what's going to be effective in helping to get your do those dollars deployed into your community. Yeah, it does sound very promising and, and you know, I hope that, that it goes the way we all need it and want it to go. My last question, I want to kind of bring it back to the company itself and, and ask you um, who Clarefield is mainly working with to accelerate 5G and, and why? Mm -hmm. the, um, we, the, you know, Clearfield has focused on what we call community broadband. And community broadband are those individuals, the service providers who are deciding at a community level to be able to offer services. Um, and so these have historically been tier three companies, uh, tier three telcos, small telcos in New Orleans, Minnesota, or Bemidji, Minnesota, or Montpelier, Vermont, or Sacramento, California, companies who are maybe 100 years old that were founded um, by families to offer you know, telephone service and now are looking at being able to provide you know, broadband services. Those tier threes, the municipalities, the utilities, the telco co-ops, um, you know, the, the rural electrical co-ops that are now coming in to service community requirements are the ones who are going to deploy fiber in the right of way. But you now today providing fiber to the home, but providing as we look forward, the opportunity for enhanced 5G services across the country, because that's where the fiber is going to be laid. And so um, our focus for 5G initiatives and growth is looking at the back hall and the front hall that that community providers can enable for the service, the telco service providers, the wireless service providers. So if you're a community um, stringing fiber for fiber to the home, or if you are a co-op, you know, stringing fiber along your electrical lines, you now have an opportunity to uh, monetize that fiber contribution by providing bandwidth for backhaul and frontal. So all kinds of monetary opportunities, remembering that this is a for-profit uh, for world, um, and that's what's gonna have enough fiber out there to put all those antennas in place, uh, both in the short term, you know, as well as an ongoing basis as we really become a communications-led uh, country. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing it back to monetization and money <laughs> because, <laughs> 
right now, um, I know that a lot of our, our readers and listeners and, and the editors on, on my team are, are really, that's what we're focusing on. That's where the question is right now. We've talked about 5G, we've talked about the innovation, the use cases, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I think now we're at the point in the conversation where it's like, okay, but how are service providers going to make money off of this and what, mm-hmm. what it can bring? So I think that's a really important point. Shari, this has been really great um, and informative. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, it's a changing world and it's an exciting world, and I could not be more thrilled to be part of it and to be leading Clearfield to enable better broadband for all those who need it. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.